Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. To have stood at Corinth, to have stood at Ephesus where Paul wrote this was just so inspirational and encouraging. And let me say thank you for giving Kim and me a little vacation time to be able to do that. Um, even though it very quickly became a working uh, tour. Um, very thankful to have been there. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Just in preparation for our time at the Lord's table, Paul says, <coughs> And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly or carnal. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, you're not, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Remember, Paul is writing this. Servants through whom you believe, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted. Apollos, he watered. But God was causing the growth. Simple question, how do you tell if something is alive? It's basically science 101. If it grows. I don't mean necessarily if it has organic and carbon bonds in a physical sense, but you can tell in a spiritual sense if we are alive by the fact that we're growing. The most ev basic evidence of life in the physical world is growth. The most basic evidence of life in the spiritual world, according to this passage we just saw and read, is growth as well. J.H. Newman says, growth is the only evidence of life. And I agree with him. If someone has a growth disorder, I know that this word has been, been marginalized, but in the definitional sense, we say that their growth has been retarded. It's stopped. It's stunted. You can see cases of uh, retardation mentally and physically in the natural world, even with people. You can see it malnourished in plants and in animals, and it causes retardation. The growth is retarded. You can even create retardation on purpose by taking the taproot of a tree, pulling it out, and it becomes a bonsai plant. That's intentional retardation so that the tree doesn't grow into its full potential. 1 Corinthians 3 here is Paul asking us, asking Corinth. Remember, he's sitting in Ephesus. I just, I can still feel the humidity there. And he's writing over to the Corinth church, the church at Corinth, and after verse, just turn back over to verse one, chapter one for a moment. Uh, he begins and uh, describes the grace that he sees in them, the, the goodness that he sees them, the kindness that God has demonstrated in them. God was faithful, verse nine, through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And then verse 10, now I exhort you brethren. And from there to the end, it is a spiritual spanking. He basically says, I have heard what's going on and it needs correction. 
Now, I know you know this, but let's remind ourselves. You have to think of four letters in Corinth, okay? There's 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th Corinthians. We only have what we call 1st Corinthians and 2nd Corinthians. But if you can watch this, there was a letter that Paul wrote that we don't have a copy of that was not inspired that he references in chapter 7. He says, concerning what I wrote. So there's a letter that he's responding to and what we have is a response called 1st Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, he talks about a severe letter that he wrote that was not inspired. We don't have a copy of. That was the third letter he wrote. And the letter in response to that was 2 Corinthians. Is that confusing? So there's, there's four letters. The second letter and the fourth letter are 1 and 2 Corinthians. If that, it makes sense to me. I hope it does to you as well. Well, in the middle of this, he's, he's heard of... Two conditions that, the, spirit, that the, the Corinthians are living out and living through. They are fundamentally, this is important, confused and contaminated. And if you boil all of 1 Corinthians down, all of his corrections, all of his instruction, all of his doctrine are to help them cure these two problems of being contaminated by the world, bringing worldliness into the church, living no different than unbelievers, and being confused about doctrine. Now, the interesting thing is he weds those together to say that confusion, when you solve confusion about doctrine, it should lead to dealing with contamination from the world. Well, as we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he's talking about the preaching of the gospel. He talks about verse 14, the natural man and the spiritual man. The natural man doesn't understand the things of God. The spiritual man does, which leads him in chapter 3 to give a basic little test of spiritual growth. And I think this is a wonderful way for us to consider our own lives, how, if, and at what rate we're growing as believers. So let's kind of break this down. If, if, if Paul is, is assessing them based on the letter he's received about them, based on his first letter they wrote to him back, he understood that they, verse one, they, they lacked spiritual growth. Verse two, they lacked spiritual appetite. Verse three, they lacked spiritual unity. Verse four, they lacked spiritual loyalty. And we're gonna flip those assessments that Paul has and turn them into questions as a way just to assess our lives, our growth. The Lord's table is one of the most important things that the church does together. And as you know, if you've been at Mission Road for very long, we take very seriously the call to remember Christ Jesus, to examine our lives and to assess our spiritual growth. So this is a good place just to kind of pull over and do those. So I'm gonna ask four questions tonight. And this, these are four questions that Paul lays out for us to assess how we are growing. Four tests for spiritual growth. Very, very simple. Number one is this, are you indeed growing? Are you Growing, verse one. And I, brethren, it's, it's amazing that he calls them brethren. You get into chapter five and you have a, a man sleeping with his, his mother-in-law and there, there's, there's just rank sin that's happening in this church. And he still calls them brothers, brethren. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men. Now, understand when he says spiritual men, he means mature men. Spiritually mature, but as to flesh, as to babes in Christ. So he's saying you have a relationship with Christ, but you're a baby Christian. You're a baby in your growth. 
You're not growing up. At the heart of Paul's concern is a lack of spiritual growth in the Corinthian believers. Simply put, they were spiritually retarded in their growth. He's just a metaphor here of a babe. Babies are wonderful little creatures. Cute, adorable, snuggable, huggable, simple, precious. And a baby is not only distinguishable by how old he or she is or looks, but mostly how a baby acts. A baby who acts like a baby is a joy. A 35-year-old man who acts like a baby, that's a tragedy. Notice that that's the illustration Paul is using here. Verse one equates the metaphor of babes in Christ with men of flesh. You see that parallel? Babes in Christ are the men of flesh. People who are walking in contamination with the world, who are confused in doctrine, and their, their, their lack of doctrinal stability is causing them to be confused in their, or contaminated in their lifestyles. And again, the point is the arena of the ability to listen to truth. That's what he says in chapter one and in chapter two. If you're listening to truth, it should be changing you. You should be growing. Ever pay attention to how we talk to babies? Don't ever let anyone clandestinely or secretly record you talking to a baby. It will be quite embarrassing for you to rewind the footage. What if we talked to an adult believer like a baby? Just, I don't even want to act it out. Just think that through. If I was talking to Aaron and I goo-gooed and gaga'd and, and pinched his cheek and said, how adorable, I'm doing it anyway. I think you, you understand that's not the way you do. You talk to an adult as an adult. Paul uses that to say, I should be able to talk to you as a spiritually mature man or woman. And instead, you're not beyond the basics. Said another way, these people seem to be genuinely saved. They are babes in Christ, infants in Christ, stalled in their growth. Paul is saying if a believer is living in the deeds of the flesh, there's the parallel, he is in desperate need of growth. Said like we said a minute ago, he is being spiritually retarded in his growth. Spiritual dwarf. So the question we ask ourselves is, are we moving and growing beyond babes in Christ? Or are we finding ourselves living as, as men or women of the flesh? All he's saying there is carnal. Our, our affections, our desires are more attached to worldly things than they are Christ himself. Footnote, we spent a couple years going through Ecclesiastes. If anything, one of the messages of the book of Ecclesiastes is if anyone is going to enjoy the delights of this world, it ought to be a Christian who can give God glory for those delights. But when we pursue the delights of the world without attaching them to God and his glory with no restraints of the, of the scriptures, which will give us self-control in those things, that's what it means to be a man or a woman who's carnal, who's of the flesh. So are you growing? 
Just do some spiritual inventory. Do you see evidences of growth? Do you love learning and listening to the truth? I mean, I'm talking to a group that comes back on Sunday night right now. So that's, that's a good indication of your heart. Do you listen to podcasts of preaching and books and discipleship and Bible study? Here's another question, especially related to the Lord's table. Have you been struggling with the same fleshly temptations for a long time without traction and observable, demonstrable growth? Do you see victory, even small victories? Is there some fruit on the vine, even if it's a dried up, shriveled raisin? Is there some fruit of growth? And here's a question for your care groups. Do the people around you see and recognize spiritual acceleration? Think about that in your life. You might wanna ask them. Do you see spiritual acceleration in my life? Am I speeding up in my chasing after holiness? Am I speeding up in my pursuit about Jesus? Am I growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ? Are you growing? Flipping that over, you could say, am I stagnant? Am I in the doldrums? I was reading an account in a biography about someone who's sailing the they hit the doldrums in the Atlantic. No breeze, not even a reason to pull up the sail, just stalled right in the middle of the ocean. Does that describe a season that you've been in or that you're in? If you find yourself in a lack, you assess a lack of spiritual growth, can I just encourage you, slow down and dig in. What I mean by that is instead of responding by saying, I'm not growing like I want to. I'm gonna read the, the Bible this week, all of it. And that'd be great, but slow down. Take a verse, a paragraph. Do something small, meditate deeply on it, think deeply about it. God is not looking at our life and checking boxes like we do. God is looking at our life and seeing if our hearts are drawn to him through his word at some intimate and demonstrable level. It comes back to reading your Bible and praying, caring about God's revelation and praying about it. There's a second test in verse two. Are you hungry? Are you hungry? He extends the analogy of babe. He says, I gave you milk to drink. Who do you give milk to drink to? Babies, not solid food. Why? You were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now, you're not able. Are you hungry? Or are you satisfied with just baby milk? Not only were the Corinthians demonstrating a lack of growth in spiritual things, they were demonstrating a lack of appetite for spiritual things. Did they even want the solid food? Or were they just happy with the basics? I am uh, telling a little bit on myself. When our oldest was a baby, um, I, uh, Kim was, we had bought some frozen yogurt. He was pretty young at that time. And Kim had gone in somewhere in some store or something and it was just he and I in the car. And I just thought, I like yogurt. 
I bet he would too. And so I began giving him some yogurt, which he really liked. <laughs> and then my precious wife came in and said, he's not ready for that yet. And let's just say that later, she was proven right. If you're a father, you can figure that out if you're a parent. They weren't ready for solid food. Isn't that, as a parent, isn't that one of the transitions that's the most um, nerve-wracking and also the most exciting is from, you know, the, 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 the milk to the, the rice, what is it called? Cereal, thank you very much. Rice cereal and then, uh, then a Cheerio and then you're just building them up. What Paul is saying is take that analogy. You didn't even want or care about anything but, but baby food. Paul takes us to a spiritual smorgasbord of spiritual food and shows us that there's more available than infant formula. The contrast is between spiritual food and milk and meat. Term milk here is a synonym for instruction on the elementary truths of the gospel. Just the basics, you know, the gospel, you know, something about church, you know, the basics, but you, you were okay and content with the basics in Corinth and didn't really want to add more in growth. She used similarly in Hebrews 5, verse 12. By, by this time, you ought to be teachers, but you have a need for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You've come, you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes of milk is not only accustomed to the word of God, word of righteousness, he's a babe. Same analogy. But solid food is for the mature because of those who practice have had their senses trained to discern good and evil. In other words, babies who are growing will not be content with rice cereal the rest of their lives. Christians who are growing want to grow. They want to dive in. They want meat, literally solid food, the deeper things of God. By deeper things of God, I don't mean things that are different than simple things, rather looking more intently at the simple things with an eye of wonder and awe Further explanation, you know, I, I, I remember we spent five years in Romans. You could spend one sermon in Romans and get an overview, of an overview and understand the whole thing. You could also spend five years and break it down. Remember the clock analogy? It's like a complicated uh, timepiece. It has all these intricate gears and, and, and mainsprings and, and uh, uh, offloading off different uh, uh, complications, they call it, that work together. You can look at all that and be amazed by the watch. But if you turn it over, it tells time. If you're interested in watches, eventually you want to, you say, okay, it's five past two, but I'll, I want to know how that hand is moving. You're interested in it. Nothing should be more interesting to a Christian than Christ. That's the meat. How do you get spiritually hungry? You know what I find makes, spirit, creates, generates spiritual hunger in me is not only reading scripture, which is, should be a regular part of all of our lives, but reading a good Christian book which is akin to hearing a sermon, except it's slower. You can go at your own pace. Reading something that generates me to think deeper or differently or better about a subject. And we have a whole uh, bookshelf out there of books that we've recommended for this year and we'll have some new ones in the coming year as well. Reading, slowing down, thinking about theology often. 
talking about theology. Ultimately, it's this question. Are you, if you're gonna ask if you're hungry, it's another question phrased another way. We can say, are you curious about God and his ways and his word? Are you curious? Christians who are growing have an insatiable curiosity about God and his word. Are you hungry? Or are you just satisfied with the basics? Number three, are you unified? Remember, he's talking to a group of people that he knew and had had a report on. Are you unified? Verse three, <coughs> for you are still fleshly. That's the word carnal. Now, this is where some people get the idea of a carnal Christian where you stay in a state of carnality or, or fleshliness for a long period of time. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying this is a state to grow out of. You're still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not carnal or fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? Literally, are you not walking according to man's thoughts and Worldly desires. This is not, I don't have time to get into this. This is not in the lordship debate, the question of the carnal Christian. There are Christians who act carnally. We do every time we sin. But there is no state where a person can be a carnal person, a fleshly person following after the Lord for an extended period of time without the judgment and the correction, the discipline of God coming into our lives. Remember what Paul told the Galatians about life in the spirit versus life in the flesh? Walk by the spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. This is all about growth. We're moving away from worldly desires and in seeing an increase in spiritual desires. The issue here at Corinth was division. See those words, jealousy, division. They were acting like mere men. In other words, you're acting like everyone in the world acts. You're acting no differently than the other people in Corinth. The question we have to ask is, are we in any way disunified, first of all, with people in our family, people in the body of Christ here at Mission Road? Is there anyone that we have a willful disunity against? And what I mean by that is there's something between us that we're just unwilling to, to resolve, a conflict we're unreal, unwilling to re resolve. We learned this morning that that gives Satan traction and a foothold. It gives him an opportunity in our lives. And Satan has no greater foothold on a church or an individual like he does when there is bickering and jealousy and quarreling. So we ask from time to time, and I'll ask again tonight as we come to the Lord's table, is there a relationship that you need to, to make right? A phone call that you make. It would, it would please the Lord and no one would judge you if when we go to the Lord's table in a moment and there's an unresolved issue, you just slip out and go make a phone call. Paul says a, a test of spiritual growth is that you're pursuing unity with sincere and serious passion. And then fourthly, are you loyal? Are you loyal? And the question is loyal to whom? And the answer is to Christ. Look at verse four. For when Paul says, for one says, I am of Paul and another, I am of Apollos. Are you not 
men, just fleshly, just like the, uh, the Corinthians. What then is Paul? Or Paulos, what then is Paul? Then he answers the question. They're servants through whom you believed. Through whom you believed. They weren't your savior. They didn't die for your sin. Paul actually, in chapter one, goes so far as to say, I'm glad I didn't baptize almost any of you. Because then you would attach your baptism perhaps to me and not to the Lord. I'm sure there were people walking around saying, well, who baptized you? Paul baptized me. And Paul said, I'm glad I wasn't attached to anybody. In other words, baptism is for the Lord, not for a sentimental purpose. I'm a Paul, I'm of I'm Apollos, mere men. And then this principle in verse seven, verse six, he says, listen, well, let's back up. Uh, Servants through whom you believe, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one, I I planted, Apollos, he watered. This is the key. God was the one who was causing the growth. If God causes growth in a genuine believer and there are sustained and long periods of a lack of growth, there's some serious questions that need to be asked. Now, how much growth? We have to be careful that we're not becoming Roman Catholic in our thinking where we think we have to do enough growth and then we're really Christians. But there has to be some. And I would basically boil it down to, do you care about the Lord? Do you care about your walk? Do you care about the word of God? Do you care about the church of God? That's his bride. It would be impossible to love Jesus and not love his bride, which is the church. Do you care Are you curious? Is there a desire? Is your loyalty attached to God himself? God is causing the growth. You know, Augustine said this, or Augustine if you're you're a scholar. But I grew up in the South, so he's Augustine to me. Listen, what you are must always displease you if you would attain to that which you are not. Hear what he's saying? There's a sense in which we should all be spiritually discontent and yet completely satisfied with the Lord and our growth. We're not happy with where we are. We wanna grow. We wanna be better sons and daughters of the Savior. We wanna be more holy in our pursuits, more evangelistic in our, in our workplace more loyal as a husband, as a wife, as a son, as a daughter, as a parent, as a friend. Discontentment with spiritual growth, when viewed correctly, should be a motivation to make deliberate and measured improvements. So when we come to the Lord's table, I think it's always a good opportunity to stop and say what the Puritans asked, how can I make improvements to my walk with Christ? Making improvements doesn't mean that we're trying hard for God to accept us because we we need to make sure we haven't done anything so wrong he's forgotten us or make sure we do things so right he will notice us. No, we recognize the full merit of his life, his death, his resurrection. We're amazed that he would love and accept us based on his love for us, not our contribution to him. And we're amazed. 
we are amazed at his goodness and grace. That amazement makes us want to please him more, to try harder to be better, but knowing that those efforts are in pleasure for him not to earn his favor. You understand the difference? It's, it's not to say, I want, I want to do this so that I can be your son. It's saying this, I want, to, I want to honor you because I am your son. So four questions. Growing, hungry, unified, loyal to Christ himself. Great questions as we come to the table to say, okay, how am I doing? 